Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Some years ago, when Michael Jordan was asked to step forward to receive the NBA's Most Valuable Player Award, he refused to walk out to center court alone. He had previously spoken to each member of the Chicago Bulls, and when Commissioner Stern invited him out to receive the coveted award that says you're the best of the best, the entire Chicago Bulls team walked out with Michael Jordan. This podcast is rooted in the belief that Christian men want to win. They want to accomplish their mission for Christ. This episode continues to examine the way God has empowered every Christian with spiritual gifts to empower us together as teammates to spread Christ's kingdom of righteousness over earth. Thanks for joining us today for Season 2, Episode number 40 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. The single purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ is to make kingdom disciples, those trusting Christ Jesus' atoning death as the payment for our sins, those captured by a wholehearted devotion to Christ, and those seeking to be like Christ in their heart attitudes and behavior. As we grow into fully devoted followers of Christ, we need the seven spiritual gifts we're studying to be deployed to help us in the internal process of the body building itself up. For example, the prophet helps us see our sin. Servants meet practical needs in the body, demonstrating to the world how Christians love one another. Truth teachers protect the word of God inside the community as it does its work to transform us. Exhorters keep our focus on godly character. Givers challenge believers to tithe while they themselves provide crucial financial resources for the church to flourish. The leader sees what internal ministries are needed, like a new men's Bible study or a missions committee that is functioning well. The mercy shower pours out compassionate understanding that keeps the church loving each other well. As we understand what each gift contributes, we are seeing the character of Christ displayed. This internal work of the gifts is vital. But the ultimate mission of disciples is not internal, but external. Former Senate Chaplain Dick Halverson tells us how he changed his thinking about the church. He writes, The work of the church is outside the establishment, outside the church, in the world. And it takes every member to do it. Nowhere in the Bible is the world exhorted to, quote-unquote, come to church. But the church's mandate is clear. She must go to the world. This podcast addresses those individual spheres of life for men out in the world, furthering Christ's agenda in our marriages, families, workplaces, neighborhoods, churches, nation, and world. Often our spiritual gifts shape the way we go about pursuing Christ's agenda in these spheres. In fact, our spiritual gifts may have determined our vocational choice, and pursuing our vocation well may be the best way to employ our spiritual gifts. However, this external focus about which Dr. Halverson writes is not always individual, but includes joining forces with others in the body of Christ to bring kingdom justice and mercy into the world that we, Adam's descendants, have been charged to shape. 
The ways Christians are doing this today is endless. Helping lead vacation Bible school, working as a volunteer in a pregnancy center, helping in sports ministries to the lost, providing free legal services in poor communities, being part of the ministry team in support groups for widows, the divorced, and those with addictions, after-school clubs for kids until their single moms get home from work, ministries addressing sex trafficking, prison ministries, and so on. So, Using our spiritual gifts is vital to our kingdom disciple-making calling, both internally building each other up and externally showing Christ's redemptive power of restoration over the earth. This is especially true with the category of gifts we examine today, the cluster of gifts from Romans 12 given to get the job done. Leadership, charting the course and recruiting others, serving, assisting others to reach their goals, and giving, providing necessary resources to reach those goals. So let's dig in and look at the first gift, which is leadership, proestemi, to stand before from Romans 12, 8. Although the spiritual gifts of Romans 12 were not poured out upon believers until Christ ascended into heaven, Ephesians 4, 8, the Greek word for the Romans 12 gift of leadership is proestemi, to lead, and it certainly describes Nehemiah's giftedness in leading the Israelites to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. So these characteristics do accurately describe this gift. Let's look at those characteristics. First, the leader has the ability to visualize what needs to be done. Nehemiah hears that the remnant of Jews left behind in Jerusalem when Nebuchadnezzar took the Jews captive into Babylon is not doing well. Nehemiah can see what needs to be done, rebuild the wall. He prays and begins to formulate a plan. Leaders see something that is lacking, that needs doing. They're not motivated to really manage existing things, but to put in place something that should be, but isn't. Like starting a pregnancy center, planting a church, starting a men's Bible study, making the playoffs next season, leading a church committee well. When the task is finished, the leader looks for the next task to honor Christ that needs doing. Second, the leader has the ability to form a concrete picture of what resources it will take to reach the goal. After Nehemiah prayed for and received the right opportunity to present his plan, King Artaxerxes seemed open to it. Nehemiah shows that he had thought through what he needed to succeed in the plan, saying immediately, If it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah, and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house that I shall occupy." When he gets to Jerusalem, Nehemiah, under the cover of darkness, inspects the broken down wall to make his assessment of what the project will take. Third, the leader has the ability to inspire his followers to each have a part in the project. We read, Then I said to them, You see the trouble that we're in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. 
And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. We find out later that Nehemiah's plan was brilliantly thought out. The project started with the priests rebuilding the sheep gate. The priests, those looked up to, set the example and built the gate closest to their homes. It appears that Nehemiah assigned each part of the wall to those who lived closest to it. Fourth, the leader knows how to break down a task into parts that keep the team motivated. Not only did Nehemiah assign rebuilding the wall to those who lived closest, he told them first to build it only by half its height. In my view, lest they become discouraged, like eating all of an elephant. And we read, so we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. Fifth, A leader understands how vital his unselfish commitment to the goal is to his followers. King David began his fundraising campaign to raise money to build the temple by first making a huge financial commitment himself. Nehemiah ruled Jerusalem 12 years and never took a paycheck. In fact, out of his own savings, he fed 150 people every day at his table. Sixth, in the face of adversity, a leader adjusts his course and inspires his team to press on. When Israel's enemies planned an attack, Nehemiah heard about it, gave them a strategic plan, that is, to his followers, and challenged his followers, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome, and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. So, What are the vulnerabilities of those who have this gift? First, leaders may be so focused on their goals that they fail to see the need to nurture those closest to them. Leader fathers may not see the need to shoot hoops with their sons. Project-focused leader wives and mothers may not realize the strength their feminine heart provides their family simply by being with them. Second, Christian leaders can gain a following through the power of their leadership gift without earning that following through godly character. Outward ministry success can look like God is blessing them even while their hearts are drifting far from Christ or from their wives. A leader must stay focused on his heart's love for Christ as his highest priority and must have a brother engaged with him in his everyday walk with Christ who is asking accountability questions and with whom the bond of friendship is too strong to lie. Third, leaders can sometimes move on to the next project too quickly. One wise observer of his entrepreneurial leader remarked, Yeah, we launched a new ship every week. Before it got 50 yards from shore, it had already sunk. So let's move on to the gift of serving, diaconia. This is the inward motivation to express Christ's love by meeting practical needs. Servers love the touch of the physical, like paintbrushes, car engines, baby wipes, table decorations, boxes to be unloaded and put away. As we saw two weeks ago, this Greek word, diakonia, is the word used by the apostles in Acts 6 when a dispute arose over the distribution of the food. The twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve, diakonia, tables. 
Servers' contributions to the body are often invisible, as Scottie Pippen, who was with Jordan for all six championships, deserved to be on center court with Jordan, servers deserve center stage attention. Almost nothing would get done for the kingdom apart from them. And they are given the high calling of showing us Jesus, who refused to count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant." Here are some characteristics of this gift of being a server. First, their primary motivation is to express Christ's love for others by caring for their physical needs. Although Timothy's position in the church was that of a teacher, he seems to portray the heart motivation and strengths of a server. For example, Paul refers to him in Philippians 2, For I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Number two, their radar quickly notices practical needs, and they also have a godly desire to meet those needs. Third, servers love to take care of practical needs to free those with teaching and leadership gifts so they can deploy their upfront gifts, people like Paul. Paul describes Timothy this way, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. But guess what? Paul was the one that was always up front. Number four, servers are content to stay in the background without getting up front attention, but because they rarely get visibility, they have a special need for others to express appreciation for them. Paul gave Timothy more praise than he gave to any other assistant that we know of. Fifth, servers like specific short-range tasks to accomplish and are frustrated by long-term or repetitive projects. Paul gave Timothy more precise instructions than he gave to anyone else. Paul also called Timothy to endure as a good soldier and to continue in the calling he had been given by God. So maybe Timothy had the gift of serving. Well, what are the vulnerabilities of those having this gift? The first is possible resentment toward those who don't seem to notice others' practical needs or becoming discouraged or eventually resentful when not appreciated for all that they do. Third, they can get so busy meeting practical needs that the server neglects God-given priorities, like the guy who's always fixing his neighbor's cars but neglects spending the time he needs to with his wife. The fourth vulnerability is that sometimes the a server feels spiritually inferior. After all, they don't have the upfront gifts, uh, word gifts like prophet or teacher or leadership. Fifth, because they are hard workers, sometimes they are often rewarded by being put in charge of projects. But servers find it hard to delegate, so they might end up burning out. Well, what about the gift of giving? which is described as the one who contributes by Paul in Romans 12. Those with this gift play a vital role in God's plan to finance the work of ministry. Givers have a central role in all three aspects of God's plan to finance kingdom advancement. That plan is first, Christians who tithe. Just this commitment alone is foundational because God often blesses givers with above average income. 
Part two of God's plan is sacrificial giving to meet a special crisis. In a first century church environment where how Jewish the Gentiles needed to become was a very big controversy, God allowed the Jewish Christians in Palestine to go through a severe famine. The Gentile church gave extravagantly to alleviate the Jewish Christians' suffering, binding the two groups' hearts together. Givers will often lead the way in such sacrificial giving. The third part of God's provision to provide financially for his church to have kingdom impact is by giving some in the body of Christ the gift of giving. A non-kingdom person would look at the ridiculous amount of income that givers give to support ministry and never be able to understand it. But to givers, it is financing kingdom ministry that matters most. So what are the characteristics of the giver? First, they usually have the ability to bring in above average income. Second, they are personally frugal to free funds for the kingdom, but usually generous with their gifts. Third, they resist pressure appeals for funds. They give quietly to kingdom projects. As we saw two weeks ago, there's some evidence that Matthew had the gift of giving. It is noteworthy that he's the only gospel writer uh, whose gospel records Jesus' teaching that we should give in secret. Fourth, givers tend to have a strong faith. When I was in church planting, the elder on our session who so often called us to trust God when facing difficult financial challenges was one who exhibited the characteristics of a giver. Fifth, they are relentlessly committed to ministries that move the kingdom forward, especially overseas missions work. One of those whom I believe has this gift said to me a few years ago, I think I'm going to retire in about 12 months to have more time to travel to be with my family. I've been able to figure out how to do that without reducing my giving to missions at all. It appears that his biggest concern about retiring was not reducing his standard of living, but potentially having to reduce financial support for kingdom work, which is what is so important and should be to all of us, but especially to the giver. What are the vulnerabilities of those having this gift? Well, their personal frugality, especially if they have an old mortgage, can make them insensitive to how much it actually costs pastors and others in ministry to buy a house and raise a family today. Second, their frugality must be balanced by a recognition that, to some extent, time and money are interchangeable assets. The church secretary can use an eight-year-old problematic computer. She could either spend time nursing it along or spend the money to get updated technology. Choosing not to spend the money is choosing to spend the time. That's, of course, obvious, but it's not always apparent to those who are very frugal. The third vulnerability of those with the gift of giving is that they might get upset, rightly in my view, by pastors who do not talk about money and tithing enough. They understand that financial giving is a great blessing. Jesus says where your treasure is, you can be certain your heart will be there too. Investing my financial treasure for the kingdom causes my heart to follow. And givers understand that reality better than most. Well, which of these three gifts do you recognize in yourself or in others? Your children? Your friends? 
I want to close with the true story of a church committed to getting everyone using their spiritual gifts inside and outside the church. This pastor writes, Over the years, dreamers in our church have been used by God to conceive, establish, and run a host of ministries. Lay people envision the objective, devise the training, do the recruiting, and direct the ministry. As long as they do not get into moral or doctrinal trouble and don't ask for money, the church leadership leaves them alone. In this rather freewheeling climate, this has happened. A street school was founded, a medical clinic founded, Christian mediation service founded, and ministries established in the following areas, step families, jail ministry, street ministry, ministry to refugees, to senior adults, to the physically disabled, to alcoholics, and more. That is a church that has found the secret to unleashing its kingdom potential. To summarize this episode, the spiritual gifts identified by Paul in Romans 12 need to be exercised internally so that the body of Christ is building itself up and externally so that it is spreading Christ's kingdom over the earth. Leaders visualize what needs to be done, investigate the resources required to do it, get buy-in from their followers even when facing adversity, and know they must lead from the unselfishness of their own hearts. Servants are motivated to demonstrate Christ's love by noticing quickly what another's practical needs are, sacrificing to meet them, finding joy in freeing those with upfront gifts to use them, but having a special need to hear words of appreciation. Givers inspire others in the body to give generously because they know that giving is a blessing, resist pressure appeals for their financial support, quietly give to projects that they believe are successfully furthering the kingdom and are relentlessly devoted to investing their treasure in spreading the gospel of the kingdom to the ends of the earth. For further prayerful thought, number one, what characteristic of leaders stood out most to you? Does anyone come to mind? who would appear to have this gift? What did you notice about the vulnerabilities of those who have this gift? See your show notes for further questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Next week, we complete our series, Helping Our Loved Ones Flourish Using Their Spiritual Gifts, Having looked at the word gifts last week and the get the job done gifts in this episode, we will examine the people gifts next week, the gift of exhortation and the gift of mercy. Understanding these two gifts will help us know how to encourage others and probably how to be better husbands, since mercy showers are specialists at communicating that they understand how others feel. And most husbands don't do that with their wives very well, at least not this one. Thanks for listening today. If this podcast has been helpful to you, don't forget to tell other Christian men about a podcast that helps them stay focused on their mission from Christ by equipping them 
and inspiring them each week while they commute or work out. <laughs>